0: I believe that's what that's saying. and I'm not trying to toot my horn or anything. I'm just saying I haven't read this in other commentaries. and I just think this is what it's saying. That when we return with Jesus Christ on our white horses, how is the beast, the false prophet, and the entire armies of the world and everything destroyed when he returns? By the word of his mouth. A sword that comes out of his mouth. The word of God. What are we doing? Looking under our feet. Looking under our feet. While Jesus is bruising the head of Satan, who is then cast into what? Bottomless pit. Yeah. And then the lake of fire at the end of the kingdom of peace. So, by the way, I numbered each reference to God of peace so you can see all five as we use them in the study. That's the first one. A second reference to Jesus as God of peace also points us to his preserving us blameless until his return. Uh, of course, we read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You can rest assured, He will preserve you. (laughs) That's a wonderful promise we talked about back then. It is the God of peace who gives us peace. Peace doesn't come through a pipe, doesn't come through a needle, doesn't come from a pill, doesn't come from self-esteem or self-love, it doesn't come from anything or anyone else other than the God of peace, who is the Lord of peace, and came to this earth, earth as Jesus Christ, the Prince of peace, who is coming again to rule and reign. Amen. Amen. So back to our text there, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace give you peace. There you go. Always by all means. And then we're given the key to God's peace, and that is His presence. In verse 16, the Lord be with you all there at the end. 16 will say part B. Now the Lord of Peace Himself give you peace, always by all means, period. Then it says, the Lord be with you all. That's His presence. His promised presence. His peace comes with our knowledge of His presence. You can be saved and not have any peace. It's your fault, but... You can be saved and not have any peace. How do you have peace? It's when you live with the knowledge of His presence. Now, you'll be taught falsely by people who will tell you, you need to call on God and say, Where are you, Lord? Come to me. Fall on me. Fall on us. And all that kind of thing. That's not what needs to happen. What needs to happen is for you to believe God's word, because God's word tells you He's here. As we'll see, if you're saved, He's in you. You take Him everywhere you go. We don't have to. I've been in church services where they'll start out and they'll play the music, and everybody, you know, starts to sway and everything, and they say, "Now let's call on the Lord. Oh Lord, come to us. Come in our midst. Come and do this and that." And I'm sitting there thinking, bad theology. He's here. Or at least, I, I, I want to say, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I brought him with me. I say, what if he's not there? Yeah. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I brought him with me. <laughs> if you're saved. That's why Paul repeats this blessing. Look what he says in Romans 15, 33. Uh, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Why does he say that? Because you have him in you. But if you don't live with that blessing, you forfeit it in practical terms even though he's right there with you. How many of you have seen this? Sometimes you see it on bumper stickers, t-shirts. I had a, a friend who had a shirt and I couldn't, I've never been able to find it. On the front it said the N-O, No Jesus, No Peace. And on the back it said K-N-O-W, No Jesus, No Peace and so uh, I'm, I, I wear a, a 2X if you find one um, but uh, if, you get a th- if they only have 3X I'll wear them loose too I just don't like tight shirts you know don't want to get too much attention you know draw, draw too much attention the unsaved who do not know Jesus they have no real peace so you just put them in categories if you're unsaved you don't know Jesus if you're unsaved. You can know the name of Jesus, you know things about Him, but you don't know Him. That's like, I know who Elon Musk is. I do not know Elon Musk. That's of no consequence. But if you're not saved, you know who Jesus is, but you don't know Jesus. That's of eternal consequence. Amen. The saved who do not live conscious. Of the presence of Jesus, have no real peace. That is the mass majority of Christians today. That's why they're all on dope, illegal, legal—doesn't matter. Popping pills, shooting up, smoking. Why? They may be saved. I'm not. I, they say they're saved. Who am I to judge their heart? I don't know. But I'll tell you this: If you're saved, there's a reason why you don't have peace, and it's your fault. And if you're seeking it in other means like that I just mentioned, you're not going to have peace. You have to live conscious of the presence of Jesus in your life. It is by living with the full awareness and knowledge of the presence of Jesus that we experience His peace. That's the only way you will ever experience His peace in any real lasting sense. That is to live with the full awareness and knowledge of the presence of Jesus. One, uh, well, we'll get into some practical terms in just a minute. But this is something, first of all, understand this. Salvation is settled. If you're saved, you're saved. The dumbest thing you can ever do after you have been saved is to turn around and say, I wonder if I'm saved. We've all done it. I, mean, I, I can only speak for myself. But it's stupid. And so at some point I, d- I decided, you know what, I know I'm saved. I, I trust, I- if, I- if the Bible's true, I'm saved. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, I haven't questioned my salvation. If you question your salvation after you're saved, you're being a complete hypocrite. Because you claim to believe the Bible. The Bible says you're saved, you're saved. So stop questioning your salvation and stop being a hypocrite. Or stop claiming to be a Bible-believing Christian. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, it's- the Bible says you're saved. And if you're saved, the Bible says that these things have I written, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's settled. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. It's that simple. So salvation is settled, but practical daily peace is conditional. I've I've had people argue with me about this, and they're some of the most... uh, Troubled people and professing Christians, I know, but they want to argue and say, I don't believe that. I believe that once you're saved, you have his peace. And I'm just honest. I, I don't I don't I don't want to hurt feelings, but I'm gonna say, listen, if that's true, you're not saved. What? I said, you're tortured, you're constantly talking about how you're troubled and anxious and all these things. If why don't you stop believing some nonsense? That isn't true, that is obviously not true in your own life. And start believing what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that as Christians, we have to live in the truth. And if we do not live in the truth, then you're not going to have peace. It's conditional. Philippians 4 9. That's what Paul's saying here. Those things, which he listed above, we don't have time to go back and study Philippians again but we've got a whole uh, verse-by-verse series on the entire book of Philippians. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. That's conditional. If you don't do those things that you have learned, received, heard, and seen in the apostles, then you will not have peace. Peace even if you're saved. There's a right way and a wrong way, by the way, of practicing the presence of Jesus. How many of you heard that terminology, practicing the presence of Jesus? And that's what this is. That's a legitimate uh, phrase, a legitimate practice, um, is practicing the presence. Because, what, is it, what do we say practicing? Well, that doesn't always mean you, you're, you know, uh, pra- I practice so I can get better. That's true. Um, in a sense, spiritually, we're going to practice the rest of our lives. None of us are ever going to arrive and say, "Well, I've licked that one. (laughs) I am now a spiritual giant. It's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, as soon as you say that, we know to pray for you. (laughs) Because we know you're in trouble. But there's a wrong way. First of all, a wrong way of practicing His presence is listening for voices. There's not... Well, I think I put it right there. I challenge anybody, we claim to be Bible-believing Christians. The Bible never once tells us to listen for voices. If anybody would like to correct me, I stand corrected. I stand at this point correctable. I've looked, I've read the Bible numerous times, I've never seen the Bible tell us to listen for voices. Now, God does speak to us through His Word. So you're out doing something and this and that, and something comes to mind. So that thought you had in your mind, then what do you do? If it is in line with God's Word, doesn't contradict God's Word, something totally insane, like if the voice says, go jump off a building, you know you shouldn't do that. Amen? Amen? But a lot of times you say, well, that kind of seems a little vague. Listen, if it doesn't go against God's Word, and it's in accordance with God's Word, then there might be times where then you have to kind of make a judgment call. Other times, it's just God's Word, and it's in either case, that's what this book is supposed to do in you. That's what this Word is supposed to do in your life. As you read it and memorize it, you're going about your daily life, and something will come at you, and then if you say, well, I don't have a Bible verse or anything come to my mind, well, that's when you pray. And you say, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. I'm, I'm kind of confused. And uh, please help me. And then you know what's happening to me sometimes? Somebody out of the blue or somebody I don't even know. I'll have a conversation with them. And then they'll say something. They'll quote the Bible. They'll quote the verse that answers my question. Other times, it's just me. I go in and say, you should do this if you've got time. Whip out that phone app or whatever and get into the Bible and start looking and seeing. And it's what that... Because you have a conscience. Your conscience functions. And what you put in, you're kind of like, you're not artificial, but you're programmable information. Your brain is constantly being programmed. What you're putting in will affect your thoughts. It's like your ability to even think. Think about if you never learned any math. Well, that would affect your ability to go to the store and buy things. You'd have a certain amount of money in your wallet or in your bank account with your card, and then it costs a certain amount. You'd be like, I don't know if I can afford that or not. I don't know if I have enough money. So what happened? You learned math. It's not God who says, that costs $30, you have 40 Ding, 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 ding. You can buy that. That's not God speaking to you, but that is how your brain functions when it comes to math. Now, then you've got to start to buy that thing. And when you're about to buy it, your conscience says, you haven't given to the church yet. Oh, if I buy that thing, I'm not going to have the money to give to the church. Now what do you do? What do you do? Hide and don't buy the thing and God will hopefully provide it later if you need it. You take, let's say you're supposed to give 30 bucks, you got 40. You give 30 to the church, put the 10 back in your wallet or save it one way or another. And then accumulate the funds by not robbing God, but accumulate the funds to then you can afford to buy it. Now, that voice was your conscience. But it's based on the Word of God. You see how that works? Well, the same thing's true when it comes to the presence of God. Don't listen for voices because that's not how it works. But you know He's present by the Word of God. So when you say, I don't feel like God's with me. I feel like He's nowhere near me. What's the first thing you should do if you don't memorize the verses? You should go look the verses up and read where God assures you He is there. I will never leave you nor forsake you, for example. And all the different verses that tell you that God is there. Then you pray and say, Lord, help me to believe what you just told me in your word. That's all, you, that's all you have to do. And once you choose to believe it, it may not even feel right when you're doing it, but if you choose to believe God's word, He'll honor that. And then the feelings will come. But we don't live by feelings, do we? We walk by Thanks. and not by sight. Another wrong way of practicing his presence is repeating the name Jesus. Or some other words or repetitionally singing or chanting. I, I read a book one time that was telling you how you can know that you, uh, you live like, basically it was telling us where you live sinless and telling us how you can live with God's presence at all times. And he said, oh, walk around and just constantly say his name, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I thought that yeah, stupid. <laughs> I thought that I don't. Where is that in the Bible? And of course, I couldn't find it in the Bible, so I didn't do it. But other people read that in a Christian book in a Christian bookstore, and they do it. But that doesn't work. That's not how it works. Uh, Jesus warned us in Matthew six seven. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. <laughs> That's a heathen practice. That's not Christian, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Don't be impressed by all this mysticism and monks and stuff. That's not Bible Christianity. A lot of Christians are really impressed with that stuff. And it's not only not impressive, it's totally anti-biblical the Bible never teaches us to go off to a monastery and count beads and not speak to one another and to flog ourselves and wear wool or whatever and sackcloth and all that kind of stuff that they do in these monasteries but people are impressed with that the right way of practicing his presence is simply living to live full or I, I put this way. I'll just read it live fully conscious conscious of his presence omniscience and His indwelling Spirit in you as a believer. The Bible says God's everywhere. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. The psalmist says even if you were to go down into hell, He's still there. How, how could God be in hell? It's impossible for there to be a place where God is not. That's what omniscience means. He's not suffering in hell, but He is present there. He observes Everyone in hell right now, He sees them all. And so, He's also here with you. And it says, His indwelling Spirit is in you as a believer. And that's Colossians 1, seven, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you right now. And He's staying there. And it doesn't matter where you go, even if you're in some place you shouldn't be. He doesn't step outside and wait for you. I'm not going in there. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, you go in a place like that, if you're in any, way, in any way subject to His Spirit and sensing His Spirit at all, He'll put you under conviction about it, Amen. being in that wrong place. Johnny? I think up in the earlier, the previous slide... Did you mean omnipresence? Yes. He's omniscient, but he's omnipresent. Thank you, Johnny. Omnipresent means he's everywhere, including hell. Doug. Yeah, yeah what you said there about uh, about convicting uh, you—if know, if you're not convicted, then then eventually you you got to check check your. That's right. Whether you're saved or not. Yeah. One of the recent devotionals is the Deuteronomy study this week, Saturday. I talk about that. Because if you are without chastisement, you're bastards and not sons. So there's that. And then quickly we have the authentication. I just want to point out, Paul inserts a station identification board. <laughs> I think I put it in there. Look what it says, verse 17. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. And then it'll say what we read in verse eighteen. You're listening to W E A P W Epistle of Apostle Paul. In which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yeah, that's all. Oh, by the way, he does, I do want to point out, uh, this is why, one of the reasons I believe the thorn in his flesh was bad eyes. And when he wrote in one place, he talks about how large his letters are. He's not talking about how long letters, because he was writing a short letter when he said it. But large letters, meaning the alphabet that he's actually, or alphabet uh, that he's writing, Um, the alpha, beta, Greek, And they were large because when people have bad vision, they write bigger because they can't hardly see it. Yeah. He says, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. So that's how people could identify the epistles and knew it wasn't AI. (laughs) So then verse verse 18, we close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So walk in the reality of His presence and you live in His grace. You have His peace, with His presence. You have His grace, and uh, one definition that some people like to use for grace is the unmerited favor of God, which means you didn't earn salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the other that I like yeah, is from Adrian Rogers. Was the first preacher I heard. Give this. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's something like something Mark would have come up with. Spells G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His what? Grace. Grace. And then Philippians 4.19 again says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. So let's close by reading the fifth use of the descriptive term God of peace. We've read the other four. Let's go to Hebrews, which was written by Paul, no matter what your college professor tells you. Chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. And we'll close with these two verses. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. If you're there, read both with me. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, the God of peace brought Jesus again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Amen. Make you perfect, the sense of completion in every good work. And then one of these days, to whom be glory forever and ever, and we will be in His glory, in His presence, and share His glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time in Your Word, and we thank You so much for the gifts that belong to us, having been saved by the blood of Jesus. We receive Your peace, we are assured of Your presence, and we are given so much grace from the time of salvation to the time we're in Your presence for eternity and we just thank you and can't thank you enough we love you and i just pray that everyone here tonight is able to believe your word and walk with the full consciousness of your presence in their life every day and uh, may each of us realize when we ro- are robbed of that peace it's our own fault that we need to move closer to you get back on our knees open the word, get the word back in our minds, in our hearts, and live according to your word, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jenny Albaugh is going to lead us in the goodbye song.